One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96vm.ie. I would particularly, uh, throughout the morning, like to hear your memories or see your words to do with our beloved Cara O'Sullivan. It was the examiner who used that word last evening when Old English wrote the story in the media that Cara had passed away at the age of just 59. Hard to believe, 59. She wasn't much older than myself. Uh, 59 years of age, and beloved is the word that that Owen English used. We'll be talking about Cara during the morning and remembering what she was like, the massive personality as well as the massive voice. Also, we'll talk about those new restrictions. Um, a kind of a half-hearted effort, effort again, is what most people are saying. Um sort of quarantine light is what they're saying that's later on this morning and plenty more besides but um, I do want to start on this dull damp Wednesday morning with hearing the news last evening of the passing of Cara O'Sullivan uh, I've known Cara on and off not close we wouldn't be close friends but we were pals we would see each other maybe half a dozen times a year usually in a work set up but I'll tell you a little story later on about how she interrupted her hairdo to do me a little favour. Uh, that was years and years ago, around 2008, 2009. But we were pals, uh, and I will miss her terribly. And I may get a little bit misty-eyed this morning, so please do forgive me. But I want to start with something that was sent to me last night, and I am so thrilled to get it. It was sent to me by the Sonatinas, wonderful choir in Glenmire. The, and um, this is a tiny snatch of something that turned out to be very, very special. No one's gone anywhere just yet. I have been waiting for this all evening. The Christmas song of all Christmas songs. To finish our show, the combined choirs with Cara O'Sullivan, Oh Holy Night. Good night, take care, and happy Christmas. It was Cara performing December 2018 in City Hall with the City of Cork Male Voice Choir. It was their, I think, 50th anniversary concert and the Sonatinas from Glenmire. And that was to be her last public performance. I was so honoured to introduce her that night. And I now remember that it was I who had the privilege of introducing her for her last public performance. 
John O'Brien, a conductor and musical accompanist with Cara for many, many years and close, close friend. John, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How's it's a on? sad, sad day. It's a sad day. It's a sad day, yeah. Talk to me about her. How long did you know her? Well, I, I first met her when I was about 12 and... Um, I there was in the early years I was kind of um, like she was Carol <laughs> I was this young upstart, um, and then when it, when I was kind of just in in college and kind of coming out of college, you know, and I was starting to conduct things and you know doing like Cara coming in as a soloist was this like beautiful but terrifying thing, and you know, um, and gradually then we started working together, and she was. Um, like she was so supportive, and um, particularly when we tried to do new things, like things like, um, you know, with the Pagliacci, with all the kind of actor musicians, and breaking all of the the kind of conventions, and with mm. the you know, um, or like, um, she, writing new music or all that kind of stuff. And she was just beautiful, like so supportive and um, warm, and um, yeah, yeah, she. she... <laughs> For, for I, I was thinking about her last night as to how best to describe the personality. And I think she was as comfortable in Copine Community Hall as she was in Carnegie Hall and put the same effort and the same buzz into both. That's so Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it, like, so a gig for a small audience in a small little place demanded as much... Um, and like from her and therefore from all the rest of us, for, you know, um, yeah, she brought us everywhere, like, you know. Mm. And she sang at weddings and she sang at funerals and she sang at any. She would stand up and sing with almost oh, yeah, the slightest but, uh, invitation you know, like, just because like, she was uh, there. Uh, and like things like launches and charity dues and um, all sorts of things like that, you know, um, that was all very important as well to her. I think like being. Like she was part of the city, you know. Mm. Yeah, she and she had uh, yeah, some some international opera star. She was known as Cara Diva, but she was far from a diva. That was the beautiful thing about her. Well, I think I think she was a diva. I think she's a, like she's a diva in the best possible in sense, the best you know? possible way. Not yeah. not in the terms yeah. of this unapproachable being. Oh, not at all. Not at all. No. You know, and was so like any time you when we when we'd make a big project together. She was such such a team player, you know, yeah. and so respectful of everybody's contribution um, to it. Mm. The cruelty of her illness doesn't quite. There's no words for it. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what to say about that. You know, um, mm. like when when we kind of gradually be- began to know what was going on, like there was a while where we didn't know what was yes, going right. on. And it was very tricky, you know, um, and then when we did know what was going on. It, it just seemed like the cruelest fate. Yeah. Well, John, I know you're upset and, and, and I won't ask you for any more, but I will, if people want to illustrate what early onset aggressive dementia does, that little clip that I had the delighted to have gotten last night, that night, and if this will set it into perspective, that night she needed on a card the words to a holy night. Yeah, and uh, that's how aggressive this damn thing was. It was so quick. That's the yeah. thing. It was so yeah. like so quick, yeah. um, and so scary. And yeah, yeah. Um, so th- there is a sense that there's that um, I don't. Know, there's a sense of peace now, I suppose. Yes, there is. Um, and she's at peace. Kind of, 
and we can properly mourn now, I think. Yes, um, and, and Which isn't it so sad, John? I was only saying to my wife last night, isn't it so sad because this would have been a monster of a funeral? Oh, <laughs> we're missing all of... We'd all have needed two churches. That's a very sad thing to miss, but... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen, yesterday, and I'm, I'm so sorry for the loss of your dear friend, John O'Brien, conductor and musical accompanist with... Carol Sullivan for many, many, many years. Here's something. She was most com- the audio on this next one isn't as good as I'd like it to be. I couldn't get a um a quality copy in time, but she was most beloved of Munster rugby fans. Because Saturday afternoon after Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon after Sunday afternoon, and particularly at big big matches when Thoman Park was rammed out the door when you couldn't get a ticket for a lovely money there was always Cara and if you can imagine your international opera star as this flowing dress done up to the nines hair that they spent days at make the works forget it think of a woman in her Munster rugby short with a pair of jeans on her and a pair of sneakers on her, and a mic in her hand, marching around the middle of Thoman Park like she owned the place. And for that couple of minutes, she did. The audio's not great, but... And the opposition was a try and a half down before she'd even finished singing. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Court's 96FM. From the lock, born 1962, I went to the Cork School of Music uh, as a teenager. And uh, teachers there told her parents that she had everything it took to make it to the top. Um, took a break from training in her 20s after her daughter, Christine, was born. And then re-entered the fray, as it were, in 1996, the Welsh National Opera. And she toured the sit- in places like the Sydney Opera House, the Paris Opera, the Royal Albert Hall in London. But as I said, she was as happy in the Royal Albert Hall in London, as she was in a community centre in Clonakilty or inside in the Everyman Theatre doing what she did. One of her closest friends in music and I think in life also, and the person I rang last evening when I heard news and I wanted to try to confirm it, Magella Colla. Morning, Magella. Morning, PJ. She was special, wasn't she? I am. Um, she was <laughs> totally and completely unique. Um, I don't know, Cara was a phenomenon. She just was the most... That's why people connected with her, I think. She had... um, She was one of the people in my life that I know who was truly herself and and just had this massive effect on people. She was a force of nature, PJ. 
Yeah. She, she, she would do this thing at her little one-woman shows with, with John, I think, used to accompany her. Um, she'd do a, a little sing-along, like a folk tune. Yeah. And then she'd say, right, now here's one you know. And she, at that point, she would open her mouth and rattle the slates. Amazing. Yeah. I, I was speaking to somebody yesterday, and I was saying, especially those one-woman shows that she, she did, um, and how, how much the audience were in love with her, how much they uh, absolutely adored her, that it was a very personal connection with her. And I, I don't know of anyone who, who could sing, who could, uh, uh, with a world-class voice, mm. sing with such excellence uh, um, uh, and, then <clears throat> and then just turn around and start chatting. Yes. To just, it was just, it was amazing. I, it, it's because I went to a lot of her shows because, as well as being her friend, I was a fan, yeah. and so um, that constantly amazed me how how uh, and people understood. Uh, maybe people can't analyze why something is amazing, but people understood that they were getting world class singing on the stage. Yeah. Um, but then in between, it was as if you were sitting on the stage with her and she was just chatting away to you. It yes. was very personal. That the connection was so strong with people i suppose it came out of the fact that she 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 genuinely loved people and she was an authentic person mm. and so she wasn't um it would it was the immediacy of that effect you know there wasn't a, a bone in her body that was starstruck she was who she was and that was her beauty yeah a, a totally um grounded um down to earth body funny hilarious um, a, a comics timing. I mean, uh, she was somebody just to to to, and again, a, a, accompanied by that world class voice. Mm. How, how did you first singing. meet her, Magella? How did you get, how did you become friends first? We became friends in the school of music because I had started. I was dental nursing in those days, and singing was my hobby. And I I had singing lessons with Bobby Bear in the school of music initially. I I moved to Maeve Collin afterwards, but um. A, a, Cara had studied with Bobby Bear, but then went off and had Christine. So Christine was about uh, 18 months or two years old when, when Cara came back um, to her singing lessons with Bobby. And so, and there was a, social, a lovely social scene with the uh, School of Music then and little shows, you know, that we put on. And, and so, uh, you know, pretty much every musician in Cork um, and that's nearly to this day. We, we all knew each other and we, uh, you know, uh, met each other in pubs. So so I just kept bumping into Cara. Mm. Um, and also then, you know, we we had a lot in common. I mean, we were both sopranos. We were both young singers. We both had aspirations, uh, you know, um, of wanting to make it uh, in the business. And so we just, it was uh, um, organic, as they say, you know, it just naturally happened. And so we would... You know, I'd visit Cara a lot, and she was she was actually a great cook, and I'm I'm a terrible cook, and so, um, so she she would cook me dinners, and and uh, we'd go off for out for days with Christine, um, and that uh, just developed even then when we were both abroad and we were both performing and we were both travelling. And we were constantly on the phone um, just talking about our personal lives and confiding in each other or helping each other with music that one couldn't find and the other had or, um, or if one was sick, the other would sing. Mm. It was just uh, an incredible 
um, relationship. You know, I was just so lucky to have her as a friend. Yeah, yeah. I had the privilege of being able to organise her or help to organise her for the Besbra commemoration a number of years ago. And one year she couldn't do it and you fell in. Do you remember that? I do. I do. I remember. It was actually um, quite an important event to me in Besbra. And, um, uh, but that was typical of Cara, that she would... Um, she just she was called upon a lot to to sing, and I don't think she ever let anybody down if she could. She um, she took the responsibility of sharing her gift um, very seriously, and um, and always did her best for everyone when she would turn up. Yeah. And blow everybody away, of course, constantly. So that's why she was constantly asked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those kind of things were very important to her. She, she had the rare ability when she'd do something sombre like that commemoration, or indeed she'd do a funeral, and she could have a place laughing on the saddest occasion. She would have la- she, she She always brought laughter from a crowd. It's, it's amazing that instinct in her to make people feel better. Um, and that, again, like I say, you know, uh, people loved her for her, uh, they admired her for her artistry, um, but they loved her for her heart. Mm-hmm. Remind us again, Agella, because, you know, when, when someone is as local as she was, mm-hmm. uh, like from the lock and always, you'd see her around Cork and you'd stop and you'd see her having coffee and you'd join her and you'd chat with her and you'd strike a joker. Remind listeners, though, Magella, she played the biggest opera stages in the world. Oh gosh, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, sometimes I I was in the same as they call it season with her. Yeah, I remember I was I was singing Blindborn um, over in England, which is one of the uh, big festivals. You know, it's um, it's a very highfalutin place, and um, and Cara uh, was singing. Uh, we weren't singing the same opera. She was singing a different role, um, uh, but I. I would try and get to see her sort of Welsh National Opera. Um, I, you know, there were various... Uh, she, she sang everywhere. I mean, the, the woman sang in Sydney, Opera House, you know. Mm. Um, so she, she, had, she had a high-flying career um, and, and, again, was lauded and applauded uh, for her incredible voice and her artistry. Um, uh, uh, yeah, internationally. I mean, she was a bona fide... Yeah. International opera singer, um, but uh, her uh, her heart was um, uh, never far away from Cork. You know, <laughs> Cork. And for both of us, we were both very Cork, both of us, and um, and so yeah. um, she she just she loved being home. In a way, I think I maybe had more of the um, uh, wandering in, uh, um, gene than she had. I I did love travelling around the world and, and I'd get itchy feet if I was home for more than a few weeks um, but Carbazon was grounded and rooted um, at home and you know she loved her family and obviously Christine uh, was the massive pull mm. to be home and so um, yeah but uh, but she was uh, yeah genuinely a, a top class international opera singer Remind listeners who wouldn't know um, Magella of, of her family who does she leave behind? Um, well, she leaves behind the most extraordinary daughter, um, Christine, who's in her early 30s now. And um, Christine married a couple of years ago and Cara walked her down the aisle. Um, and um, uh, um, gorgeous sisters, Aoife and Nuala, 
um, who were just steadfast supporters of her all down the years and her brother Jimmy and the young fella mm. um, who, who's another gas man you know so, so they, they're all I mean a family of great um, strength and character and um, humour and um, so the, I mean they're, they're obviously they're all devastated yeah. but as well as her as well as her family, family, and, you know, numerous um, and, and nieces and nephews and cousins, and um, she has her musical family as well. And so, I mean, my phone, I, I had to ask you to ring my landline this morning because my, my uh, um, uh, mobile hasn't stopped pinging yeah. because her musical family um, are just devastated um, because, again, uh, she was universally adored um, by her colleagues, and again, because she had that extraordinary ability to connect uh, with people. Um, and, and I mean, like I said in the beginning, she was a force of nature. So that, that ability to connect was able to go into an auditorium and connect with a thousand people all at the same time. Yeah. But can, can you imagine being just chatting, being uh, you're working with her and being next to her and... And people were in awe of her. So, uh, you know, every musician and every singer knew that they were dealing with a world-class artist. And, and But then, next thing, they would be bent over double because they would be <laughs> laughing at something uh, uh, probably inappropriate yeah. that she had just said, you know. <laughs> probably, most likely. Most likely. <laughs> most likely. There was another member of your little trio um, that I know you were with. Last or you night. were talking to last evening. That was Mary Hegarty. How is Mary doing? How is she taking this? Well, Mary's got it, you know, um, and I mean, uh, uh, she uh, kind of came up to mind me <laughs> last night and we just, uh, uh, well, I mean, sort of the final cruelty of Cara's passing is this uh, COVID-19 situation um, where people can't be together or there, there can't be a massive funeral or something, you know, I mean, half the country would have been in Cork City for that, but uh, Mary... Um, new, you know, we we go back such. We go, I go back even further with Mary. I've known Mary since I was thirteen or fourteen years of age, mm. and so, and basically, um, she's the most uh, nurturing person that I know. So, she flew up to mind me last night, and the two of us sat and raised a glass to Cara and reminisced about old times, yeah. and we cried and we laughed and did the usual um, thing. Um, but she, yeah, because we were sort of, we were like Cork's three sopranos, you know, yeah. Cara, Mary and myself. And so, and we were, you know, uh, when we, we just cried and hugged when yeah. she came up and, and I looked at her and I said, and then there were two. And so that's, it's harsh, you know, we were well, like the Holy Trinity. <laughs> when when she couldn't do the Bespera gig that, that year, um, mm-hmm. she rang me. Um, all apologies. She was almost in tears on the phone, mm-hmm. apologising. But she said, look, she said, um, I'm going to send you a real star. Magella will do it. Oh. Oh. That's... Yeah, we, 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 well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know was ever as bright a star in the firmament as Cara, but... But we... Um, That's how we, she viewed you. Yeah, we had a mutual admiration society going on between the two of us. That's true. All right. Listen, leave a go there, Magella. Look after yourself. Peter, thanks for talking to me. Take care. Bye-bye. 1850-715-996. Now, there's someone that practically grew up with her. Someone that... Uh, Cara played a huge part, I think, in welcoming to the Cork scene. And we've often heard her tell her own story on the show, but she arrived to Cork as a total stranger 
and she was welcomed by many, many people, among them Cara O'Sullivan. That's Karen Underwood. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Uh, morning, PJ. She was morning, one of the greats, PJ. wasn't she? She welcomed oh, everybody. Oh, what a legend. And, uh, you know, coming, coming to Cork and to join uh, Cork's music scene and being pretty gullible. You know, I didn't understand... Uh, the, 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 the protocol, the etiquette, uh, I didn't know how to invoice, and <laughs> and things like that. And uh, one day, I, I, I called Kara, and I was at a heap, and I didn't know, I said, been offered this part, you know, at the, at the Cork Opera House, and, and, I, and I don't know what to ask for. And she says, well, she says, you have to know your value. You must know your value, she said to me. She said, um, you are... Um, what did she say? She said, you you have a voice, you have a performance, and she says, and you're exotic, and there's no one else like you, she said. So she said, and she told me what she invoiced. Mm. You know, she, and she told me how to, how to, how to know my worth, you know? And um, when I heard about uh, her, her uh, condition, you know, I immediately went to Dr. Google and looked it up, and I talked to my wife Mary, and I knew uh, that we we had a we had a, we had, we were in trouble, you know. And all I wanted to know was uh, what could I do, because for somebody who used their privilege, you know, we often talk about things like white privilege, but we don't see it in action, you yeah. know. But uh, Kara used her privilege as a cork woman to help me to bring me through the ropes, you know? And um, so, and with Irby, you know, with Irby passed away, yeah. she was there. When um, I had a, a wedding that I was uh, helping to put together for my for my, for my my stepson, and you know, money, you know, poor as, poor as a church mouse, you know, uh, uh, no money to really have a proper wedding. And I was looking for a singer, and I was like, well, I'm going to do this, I write Kara. And Kara says, I'll do it. And she she stepped in the Trisco, and she was all a surprise because they thought that they were going to have me singing for the for the wedding, but I really knew in my heart I was too close, you know, for the situation that I needed someone else to do it. So she's in the bathroom in the Trisco, and I'm there. And I'm just hugging her and kissing her and thanking her. Um, this is 2015, and. Uh, she says, okay, I said, what's well, the big surprise? So they, they're down to the church. Now we're going to have Karen Underwood come and sing and blah, blah, blah. And behind the curtain steps, Carol O'Sullivan. And she translated um, a song. I think it was, it was, Oh, be a Carol Babino, I think. Yeah, oh, me a Babino Carol. Yeah, Oh, me a Babino Carol. I was confused. And uh, she sang it at my. My Spanish, it was a, it was a Mexican-Irish um, wedding, and she sang it, and I watched the father of the bride just absolute breakdown in total. He was shattered mm-hmm. because of her voice. You know, I watched, I watched her take a crowd, and I have to say, learning from the best and how to hold a crowd in their hand and just bring them on a journey, you know? I watched her wit. Uh, I knew her love for her family, as Madela has just said to you, her love for, you know, her daughter, Christine, mm-hmm. her sisters, and uh, and her brother. And, and, and like, 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 like Madela said, 
I don't think there has been a court person in the industry that I've known that has affected and impacted as many people as uh, as as Kara. And uh, if there was anything that uh, she taught me was to just to love life. The chats we had at the car in yeah. the past couple of years, you know, uh, and she had her. I mean, who else gets a spot in Costa Coffee at Douglas? With their name on it, you know, who gets a spot that people know, you know, that's where she would be at eleven o'clock, yeah. and people would just come to Costa just to pretend they didn't know she was there, but just to see her, you know, just to be with her, you know, and uh, she'll be really, really missed. And the sickness of it all is that, you know, she can't get a hero send off, you know, the way we'd love to. I know. You know, so uh, it's a it's a really sad day. Yeah. Um, but it's also for me um, a day of relief in some ways because you know Kara has been lost to us twice. You know. Yes. 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 So she has peace like, now. She has yeah. peace now, and like I was talking to John O'Brien last night, someone else who worked extensively with with Kara over the years, and and. Uh, I, he said, now we can mourn because you can't mourn a person properly when they're still here. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah. I played, I'm, I played out with her version of a holy night, the definitive version on Christmas talking, Eve here. And I, I knew at the time she was far from well, Yeah, um, but yeah. obviously still with us. And I, I played out that, that day with her and I was thinking of her. Um, but yeah. she, she just, she went very fast in the end. It was merciful. It was. She merciful. went very fast in the end. And I remember uh, I was, you know, talking about her singing because you know she she would break out into song often publicly <laughs> in recent years. And uh, I was speaking to her daughter, and her daughter said, you know, at, at some point, you know, people would think, oh God, would you be embarrassed? And Christine was like, no. She was like, if mom is singing, mom is happy. Yeah. You know. That's lovely. And that's who she was. And I just want to say one last thing on her behalf. She used to say all the time, Midasa. Midasa. Midasa, yeah. Yeah. Midasa. Karen, take care, girl. Thanks a million, Peter. See you. Thanks. Karen Underwood, 1850 Sorry, I'm, I'm get a bit misty at myself. Um, I'll I tell you a little story. Uh, we will come back to Kara during the morning, but I'll tell you a little story about her. The simple humanity of the woman. Um, the Queen Bee sings a bit. In fact, I should classify that and say that the Queen Bee is a fine, fine singer. But she, her, her heroine was and is Cara. And uh, herself had a fairly decent-sized concert at Christmas of around 2009. And I was talking to Cara about this coming up and how nervous herself was and all of this. So she said, come out to me, she said, come out to me in Wilton. And she was out in the Wilton shopping centre and she was getting the hair done in one of the salons out there, I can't remember which one. So she said to me, go and have a cup of coffee and I'll come out to you. So I sat down in the, the high burger place in the middle of Wilton there and I had a coffee and I had a burger as well. 11 o'clock in the morning, what else should be doing? It was a Saturday. And she she came out to me at one point and she had a cape over her shoulders that you'd have under a hairdryer she had a big head 
of whatever stuff they'd put into her. Like she was still in the middle of the haircut or the hairdo or whatever it was. And she said, you're waiting here too long, she she. I said, give me five minutes. She came over covered in all of the accoutrements of the hairdresser and wrote in a card a most beautiful message to the Queen Bee wishing her luck for that concert. And that was a kindness that I will never forget of my friend Cara O'Sullivan. 1857-15996. We'll come back to her later. Just another little bit of music before we go into a break. This was her with her great friend, Anthony Kearns, the tenor. And just a quick snatch of Brindisi. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 0833 96 96 96 on Court's 96 FM. Yeah, we'll return to our memories of Cara O'Sullivan later in the morning and many more people to speak with. 1850-715-996. But back, I suppose, to the story that dominates us and has dominated us now for a year. That's uh, coronavirus. After 10, we will look at the new plans announced yesterday by the Taoiseach. Uh, Level 5 continuing until the 5th of March. At least the 5th of March. I think it'll go beyond that. And changes in the travel regulations, a certain amount of quarantine, uh, you'll be quarantining at home. How they're going to enforce that, no one seems to know, unless you come from Brazil or you come from South Africa, in which case you'll be quarantining in a hotel, which they say will take a few weeks to organise. Look, it's it's a mess. At least some people are saying it'll never work. Opposition is saying it's too little too late. So I want to see what you think. and We'll do that after 10 o'clock. Some memories of Cara as well as we go through the morning from listeners. And if you have any thoughts about her, 083 396 96 96. But to vaccines first. And Dennis Highland. Uh, Dennis, when did, when did you have the, the, the transplant? Good morning. Good morning, uh, BJ. Uh, transplant occurred in uh, 2019. Okay. It was so a kidney transplant, wasn't it? Kidney transplant, that's correct, yes. And uh, even though a kidney transplant is. is thankfully commonplace and reasonably um, successful for pretty much everyone these days. You are, you're, you're immunocompromised, aren't you, for the rest of your days? We are. We are, unfortunately. But what can we do? Um, all we can do at the moment anyway is just stay, in, stay indoors, stay at home and do your daily walk. Yeah. And um, just stay away from people and stay away from, from everything, really. Yeah, even um, though it's it, what it's nearly two years now since you had your transplant. What, what, you, coming up two years, coming up in in March. So you have to cocoon still, do you? So yes, yeah, we did it the first time. Um, we were just we never went outside the gate. I know good neighbours looked after us with um, messages and so on and so forth. And um, gradually, then we went out and and the second time round we went for more walks and. Mm. Um, or when, when it's locked down, it's locked down and that's it. You know, we just, um, we're in business here as a photographer. So we just can't have people around the place anymore until um, everything has settled down a bit. Yeah. Now, obviously you'd be terrified of picking up coronavirus because you've, you've no idea what it would do to your body, have you? Well, if you do, if you do get COVID and survive, I mean, there's a chance of losing the kidney. And I mean, that would be just devastating. Yeah. To go back on dialysis again, 
you know, I mean, it does nothing worse than having to go back on dialysis. But if you have to, well, you have to. I mean, there's over 2,000 people on dialysis in the country. And, um, you know, they are at the cold face of it. They're really going into the lines then. That's right. Well, it must be, it must be frightening at the moment for people like that. It is absolutely frightening, especially for for the dialysis patients. And I, 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 I you know, I, my, my heart goes out to them when they have to go in three times a week to, I would say, in particular, to CUH. And, mm. um, okay, you have a percentage of people who do dialysis at home or going into CUH, you know, three times a week for three and four hours mm. at a time. It is just... And, of course, the virus know, is rampant there. It is, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Despite their very best efforts, and in fairness, they're doing everything they can, but the virus is still rampant. So, whereabouts are you, do you know, on the vaccine list? When are you likely to get your vaccine? Well, we're seventh down the list, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's too far down the list. And I'm not expecting to get the vaccine until at least possibly April, right? which is so far out, you know. So, you know, we're, we're, this is why we're trying to let people know you know maybe the t-shirt or our ministers here in Cork could try and get it pushed up the list another little bit mm. You would come under the, the, the list of vulnerable though wouldn't you? We are yes absolutely absolutely I mean to go back on dialysis again for me would be just the last word you know yeah. for me to be horrendous to lose the kidney after um, you know um, being so successful uh, since the day I got it, and um, to wake up in the morning and feel well is, is you know, it's just fantastic compared to previous, uh, before the kidney um, finally went. Yeah. You're, you're, who have you seen, Dennis, since all this started? I mean, with a business, a photography business and all that, you'd be a busy man. But who have you seen day to day since all this started March well, last year? We're in the bubble with our daughter Fiona, who lives in who lives in in Bancarric. and uh, she has uh, a new baby. <clears throat> so she's in our bubble. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the baby? You have. Oh, we have. Yeah, Good. we have. Yeah, she's in the bubble. So we go, we go, we go maybe once a week, and she comes here to us, and that's basically it. That's the little circle we have, you know. Yeah. So the child is coming up to twelve months old, and. Um, um, it's it's great. At least uh, Fiona is the only one we have in Cork, and Alberta is today. So happy, happy birthday, birth- Fiona! Happy birthday to her. <laughs> yeah. Will you will you be able to see her today? I uh, no, not today. No, we'll say maybe at the weekend. You know. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. that's that's the that's where we, that's where we're at. So, what, what you're asking is for the powers that be to to look again at transplant patients in particular and say, look. Can you do this a bit quick, a bit quicker for us? Absolutely. I mean, the Irish Kidney Association wrote to the Minister for Health on the 18th of, of January, you know, and um, putting our case forward um, for for transplant people and the um, the dialysis people uh, to try and get up there. I mean, if if there's a 25 percent mortality um, in in the whole COVID thing. So, um, it, you know, the chronic illnesses have to be prioritised, really. Okay. So, um, all right. That's 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 basically it, you know. All right, Dennis. Listen, um, I, I wish you well, 
uh, I see in the notes here that you, you, you think I might not remember you. I do. Uh, the Queen Bee worked for you many, many years ago. <laughs> many, many years ago. Dennis, thank you very much thank and good luck. Much, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 1850-715-996. Many years ago. Yeah, not for very long, but she worked for Dennis. Uh, to Cara, Eugene says, Cara, in truth, she was the bright side of life. Yes, Eugene. Cara used to sing at the annual Corpus Christi procession, says Michael. Those who weren't there, but the ones who lost out, Cara's voice would lift us to the heavens. Cara was beautiful, says Jackie, inside and out. Her voice will live on in our hearts forever. She was the only girl I know who'd hold a sing-song at a funeral. Ain't that the truth? My late father-in-law, Theo Dorgan, ah, Theo, was with the City of Cork Male Voice Choir. Sarah, uh, Cara sang so beautifully at his funeral. They were the best of pals. That would be our greatest memory of her. Uh, you'll be missed. And Stephen Ryan says, lovely tribute. It would be great to also acknowledge the staff. Yes, Karen Underwood referred to this. The staff at Costa Coffee in Douglas Court, who were fantastic to her during her illness. They always kept the same seat for her every day at the same time. And they would move anyone who tried to sit there. Yeah, she had her own seat in uh, Costa, in, in Douglas. And in the early days of her, of her illness, when she was still out and about, and, you know, she was still Cara before the illness took over, uh, she would go into Costa and have coffee and she might have cake. And she would, on a whim, stand up and sing, uh, just because she wanted to. Um, and, and that was that was Cara. 1850-715-996. Now, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, children and the effect of lockdown on them. And of course, as we're sitting in a third lockdown at the moment, people are worried now about the young children again. They're away from school, they're away from play school even. And so that mom and dad can work from home, they're spending an awful lot of time on screens. And you know, there's there's no harm in that. None that ever was. But how worried are we about them and, and about their future? Um, because the research is now saying that children who spend a lot of time on touch screens may end up with shorter attention spans as they grow older. Neve Brady is a productivity coach. She was on with us before last week, I think, and of course as a 19-month-old. How is Emily Neve? Good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Emily's flying it now. She had a bit of screen time already this morning, I hate to admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as you said, it's part of life, isn't it? So, um... It's just uh, one of those things that is part of, of reality at the moment. Mm. Like you, you have to work. You have to keep in contact with your clients. So every so often, someone has to look after Emily. And if that's yeah. a screen, that's a screen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the last time we were talking about like work from home guilt, and isn't this just another layer of it? Like it's guilt of, okay, I've been spending too much time in front of the screen. You know, am I doing damage? You know, it's just, again, another worry. But, like, for the reality of both parents um, at the moment, uh, the screen is like the third parent, you know. Mm. Um, and you, you whip it out every now and again. Um, like, even when I don't have Emily at home while I'm working, I still use it sometimes to, you know, get her to eat her dinner or have her breakfast. Like, I'm heavily pregnant as well. So, you know, it just 
lightens my load for a while. Mm. Um, so, so what you're saying at the start, it can be a great help, but obviously these studies are quite concerning at the same time. Yeah, because people are saying on the one hand, look, don't feel guilty about it. You need to work. You need to get on with your own life. And if that means giving... Emily or Dora the Explorer or anything else to potter around with on a screen for an hour, that's no harm. And then just as you're drawing breath in relief at hearing that, you read something like the t- toddlers who spend a lot of time playing with touchscreen. Now, this is based on a study only of, of 40 children, but they said that they were less able to resist distraction. Yeah, I know, and I read it, and it did, like, at the start, it did freak me out a little bit to a point, but then I, I took a closer look, you know, and um, it said that, yeah, so they're more easily distracted, but so are adults. I'm sorry, now when we're on our phones, we're just as bad, right? Oh, yeah. And they linked, thankfully, they linked to the World Health Organization, and their recommendations was that, you know, to limit the toddlers, like, let's say, Emily, to, like, an hour of uninterrupted sedentary screen time and then I kind of relaxed again PJ because like a lot of the time I pop Emily on to like something like Kinderama I don't know if you know about Kinderama now but like um, it's this Cork woman Seth and like she has <laughs> all of this interactive play and song and dance and games on the tablet for like 20 minutes so Emily would be like in the kitchen singing head shoulders knees and toes mm. like that's not sedentary you know what I mean and then you take the tablet away after a Zoom call and, you know, you do whatever. And then you whip it out again for 20, 30 minutes later on. So it's it's interrupted. It's not all day long. Mm. So I do think we need to obviously be aware, but not to... Yeah. Not to well, add but what else can you do? How, how else could you get through the day without the help of these devices? But that's it. Like, so, like, what I like to do is I draw balance a little bit of screen time. I also balance out, like, with the TV as opposed to having them on the tablets right in front of their faces. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then... You know, I suppose, going back to what I said to you before, when it comes to work, just trying to do your best plan work around things as well and the support that you have. Okay. But um, I just think, like, in my house anyway, um, when it comes to screen time, I try not to turn it into a routine. So different times of the day, you know, so, like, she doesn't expect it at the same time every day. And yeah. and most importantly, none for the last hour before bed because Indeed. I think that keeps them awake. But... You know, we'll be here for another while longer, PJ. Oh, I think so. so. I, I think people should do their research and maybe, like, the things like Kinderam and own stuff are obviously different than being glued to it, like sitting down, not moving. So yeah. I think it's all about the kind of screen time as well. Indeed, indeed. All right, listen, Neve, uh, look after yourself and look after young Emily. Uh, I, and, uh, take and I'll talk to you again. Bye, PJ. Thanks, Bye. thanks. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up, half arsed. That's what one of our regular contributors to the opinion line on coronavirus says the new provisions are. New travel provisions. Half arsed. We'll get to that in a little while. 1850-715-996 is the number. The uh, text to WhatsApp 083 396 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at OpinionLine96 with the hashtag OL96 and of course the Corks96FM Facebook page is there for you and uh, please message us with and put it for the attention of the Opinion Line. Staying with the Cara O'Sullivan tributes uh, and we will be returning to them throughout the programme. Kevin's called. You have a particular memory. She was very well known around Douglas Court Shopping Centre and particular in there in Costa, where we've heard she had her own seat uh, for quite some time 
particularly after after her diagnosis and after her retirement from from public life. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. And uh, it is exactly Douglas Court was where I got uh, a surprise performance from Carlo Sullivan. Mm. Um, I I was doing Santa out there in the the walk-in uh, uh, Santa, uh, not exactly a grotto, but you could just walk in and chat away to Santa. You were Santa's helper there that day, yeah. yeah. In a manner of speaking, and uh, anyhow, uh, next thing was I, I I saw this woman coming towards me, and just as you had described her there in the sweater, the jeans, and the sneakers, and I said, Jesus, I think that's Carol Sullivan. So she came up to me and said, "Hello, Santa." And I said, hello. And uh, I thought she was a little bit sort of pale, but, uh, you know, you didn't think anything of it. She just wasn't wearing makeup. And uh, anyhow, she said, would you like me to sing for you? Yeah. And I said, God, I'd love that. (laughs) Because, I mean, I knew her from the concert hall and all the rest of it and and, and, uh, the concert platform, but I definitely never met her. So anyway, um, she started off with uh, an Irish lullaby, you know, the one... Yes. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful. So she kind of gathered a small crowd, and then there were other people flying by with the, with the kids and the, the trolleys and all the rest of it. And I thought, this is kind of unreal. Um, so anyway, uh, at the end, as Santa, like, I kind of made sure that uh, there was a big applause and everything, you see, and... Um, um, away she went, and a man came up to me and said, thank you very much for making sure she got good applause. I said, she is, why wouldn't she? She said, she has dementia. Yeah. Second hell, Santa nearly fainted. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, you just couldn't associate her. And the funny strange, the, the funny, the funny odd thing about it was that about two minutes before she had turned up, a family had come in to me and the grandmother had dementia. Yeah. And they came in to just get a photograph with the grandmother. And I remember thinking, you God, that's sad. And the next thing was, Carol Sullivan and this guy tells me she has dementia. But I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, uh, if I'm gutted, how much gutted must she be? Yeah. You know? Uh, but it just struck me as the strangest thing possible that you could get, get within within about two minutes, you could get two people with dementia. One, mm-hmm. an unknown person, if you know what I mean, yeah. and the other then, uh, one of the great shining stars of uh, of uh, operatic yeah. music, like, yeah. like Carol Sullivan. It's so common, it's so out there, and it's so cruel, Kevin, and thank you, that's a lovely story. It's a beautiful story. Right, Sugar. Uh, glad to share it with you, and I sincerely hope that uh, she is meeting some of the great uh, sopranos in heaven and having a good giggle with them and a coffee. I think so. I think so. Thanks, Kevin. Eighteen fifty, seven one five nine nine six. Yeah, the 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 singing continued for a while after she retired from public life. She would she she would burst into song spontaneously, or she would stand up and. You could come come up to her in in Costa Coffee or everywhere, and she you'd ask her to sing, and she'd sing because singing was her happy place. Singing and was the last happy place she had, I guess, was her happy place. And and um, and of late, she couldn't even do that, which was the saddest part. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Also met her a couple of times in Costa in Douglas. Says this message: She was sitting at the table next to me and just started to chat. Really enjoyed the chat with her. She was so lovely and so interesting. And then another day, when I was going to do my shopping, I heard this heavenly voice echoing through the centre. I turned the corner and there was Cara. I knew of her illness at the time and it was emotional and poignant. And that's from Maeve. 
D has just awe and admiration for Cara, a singer who had the ability to capture the hearts of us all. Rest in peace, shine high. Cara was a legend and a beautiful human being. I've been a regular along with my pal at Costa in Douglas since it opened. She didn't know us at all, but we knew her, and it was her that would leave the noise of the inside to come outside and say hello. She gave a rendition of Something in the Rain one morning, was it Singing in the Rain, and left the two of us in tears. May God be good to her as she was to everyone. Midaza, Cara in truth, the bright side of life. There was another lovely story about her when she appeared in The Sound of Music as Mother Abbess in the Opera House a few years ago. She would, she would do anything she was asked and she did Mother Abbess in the Opera House and Climb Every Mountain is the big number for the Mother Abbess. <laughs> she told me a hilarious story that when she was in rehearsals for that show, she had to send the habit back up to the dressmakers because it was one of these habits with the tight veil around the face for Mother Abbas. And she said, I can't open my mouth. I can't get the throat open for the big line. So they had to adjust the habit so that she could sing that huge note. And every night of the run of Sound of Music at the Opera House, that stopped the show. That performance got a standing ovation every night. 1850-715-996. Right, back to the news of the day and the news of the week. Uh, on a national basis, coronavirus, uh, new restrictions, extended restrictions, half-arsed restrictions is the way... They're being described. Go there next. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96FM. There should be no non-essential travel. Non-essential travel outside of five kilometres is a clear breach of the level five restrictions. Additional guardie will be deployed to our ports and airports and those found to be in breach of this regulation will be subject to an increased fine. All visa-free short-term travel from South Africa and all of South America is suspended until at least the 5th of March. Mandatory quarantine at a designated facility will be required for passengers who arrive in breach of the pre-departure negative PCR requirement. They will also be subject to a fine of €2,500 and or six months' imprisonment. Similarly, mandatory quarantine at designated facilities will be required for persons who arrive from Brazil and South Africa. In other cases, passengers will be required by law to quarantine at home. Application of these measures to passengers who are not European Union EEA citizens can be introduced by regulations under existing legislation. For all other passengers, it will be necessary to amend primary legislation. The detailed legislative work to implement this will get underway immediately. These regulations will apply to anyone who travels into Ireland from any port or airport on the island, including ports and airports in Northern Ireland, and policing of the regulations will be increased significantly. OK, uh, that's the teacher, Michal Martin, telling us yesterday about the extension of restrictions and a limited amount of quarantine. Just go through it again. At the current advisory quarantine period for anyone so in other words, you're supposed to stay at home 
when you come home from being abroad, you're supposed to stay at home for restrict your movements for two weeks. That will now become mandatory. You legally have to stay home, but you can stay home. Don't know how it's going to be policed, but anyone arriving in without a negative PCR test will go into a mandatory 14-day quarantine in a hotel uh, and they'll be fined two and a half thousand or face maybe six months in prison. Anyone who arrives in without a negative or not detected PCR test. Now, they say it'll take several weeks to set that up. You you have to wonder why. Anyone from South Africa and Brazil also going into mandatory quarantine. Again, it'll take a while to set it up. We, we don't know why. Uh, all visa-free short-term travel suspended. More checks on airports and ports for non-essential travel. And it'll also apply for people who come in through Northern Ireland. So fly to Belfast Travel on today in Cork will also be subject to these regulations. Uh, Dr. Neve Lynch, a consultant paediatrician at the Bonds, has been with us many times on the opinion line. You're not impressed, Neve. Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. Um, first of all, before I say anything else, I just want to lend my voice to the condolences about um, Carol Sullivan. Yeah. Like, Elijah's gone out in Cork, and I think we're all grieving today. Indeed. indeed, yeah. indeed. So, um, I suppose to, to then add to my, my sadness, I, I'm watching the sort of the, the unfolding uh, never-ending saga about travel and incoming travel to this country. Um, to be honest with you, I think that it's too little too late. Um, the new variant didn't catch a plane by itself and come over here at Christmas time. Uh, it came by travel. Uh, the humans are the virus's host and humans move around and, and bring it with them. So, you know, uh, we this is our third time in this position. And I think what happens to people is, uh, you know, we work very well collectively towards a goal. Um, and at the moment, we seem to be all at sea without any sort of a paddle or even a vessel. We're just floating around and nobody seems to know where we're going. Yeah. The government seemed to be um, pushing back at the idea that everyone would go into mandatory quarantine, even though we know it has worked in Australia, we know it's worked in New Zealand. In fact, we can look around the world to any, pretty much anywhere where they've got community transmission down to zero or close to zero. Mandatory hotel quarantine is there and it works. Yeah, it's one part of the toolkit yes. uh, towards suppressing COVID-19. Uh, and yes, the current measures are absolutely necessary to drive the numbers down. You know, you look at CUH, it's, you know, it's really under severe pressure. I have friends who are geriatricians and paediatricians who are volunteering to work in the intensive care unit. You know, it is maxed out and we have to get the community numbers and community transmission down in order to get the hospital numbers down. And we are doing our part as a society. If you look at the way the numbers are falling, they're halving approximately every 10 days, which yeah. is exactly what is supposed to be happening. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any vision at the end of that. You know, when we get the numbers down, what's going to happen next? When are our children going to back, go back to school? When are the special schools going to reopen? I have patients of mine who have special needs, and what's happening to them is horrific. Yeah. You know, they're regressing, they're suffering, their parents are suffering, and there just doesn't seem to be any communication or any way out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, that rate at which it's diminishing and all of the experts tell us that that's, if you're doing it right in terms of clamping down, that's roughly the rate at which you will be going down, which is halving every 10 days. Now, we've got, say, a 1,000 a day at the moment, give or take, a 1,000 new cases a day. To get down to zero would take 120 days, which is 
three but months. Four, uh, four, four months, months yeah. into the middle of May. Yeah. So if you stayed at the present level of restriction until the middle of May, you could get down to single figures nationally per day, which all of those people like Tomas Ryan and Anthony Staines and Jerry Killeen, they all say, get to that level, then bring in your quarantine, then bring in all of that and keep us all safe within. Then you can send your kids back to school. Then, Lord knows, we might even be able to visit one another again. But you have to wait until you get to that level. Do you think the intention is there, Neve? I don't know, to be honest, PJ. I, I don't think we can wait that long to get children back to school, no. to be perfectly frank. And I think schools, to be fair to them, they pulled out all the stops uh, when children went back in September and they were extremely successful at limiting the spread of COVID within the classroom. We did notice in the paediatric community an uptick in cases um, in December, but I think possibly that had to do with um, the new variant arriving on our shores. Now, we won't know that until we go back and look. Um, but, you know, society can't sustain four months of this, particularly if there's no vision at the end of it um, and there's no plan for mandatory quarantine. You know, this, this business of a PCR, you know, a few days before you travel is an absolute nonsense. And, you know, we have patients who come into hospital and they have a negative PCR and the next day they have a positive PCR. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were, they were brewing the COVID, you know, when they came in. They just didn't know it. And we didn't know it either. So we have to treat every single patient in the hospital as if they have COVID-19 because they, they could well have it and have a false negative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this business of a negative PCR and the other thing of, you know, quarantining at home. We had 146,000 people come into Ireland uh, over Christmas, um, and of those, only 13,000 received some sort of contact call, um, you know, uh, to sort of confirm their location. That's less than um, a tenth of them. Yeah, all of them were supposed to self-isolate for 14 days before they mixed with their families, um, and we saw what happened there. So, you know, sending somebody to quarantine at home, then you're just you're just possibly seeding COVID in that home again, and then off it goes into the community again. So you know this business of sending people to, the, to their homes is an absolute nonsense, as well, in my opinion. Outline this again for us with regard to the PCR test, Neve, and this is important. And again, I want to take just a, a doctor's view on it. I could be tested to because of the nature of how COVID develops in the human body. Mm-hmm. I could be tested today, be negative, fly to Cork from London, say show evidence of my test that I'm that I'm clear. Yeah. And then if you test me again tomorrow or in two days' time, I have the COVID. Yeah, and you've had it all along. Yeah. The, the problem is if, you, if you're testing somebody with, uh, with a PCR test and they don't have any symptoms of COVID, you mightn't pick it up. And it's only when they become symptomatic that you, you pick it up. And that's why it's really important for people who, who have travelled, um, and are arriving in this country, it's imperative that they self-isolate for 14 days. And that's what didn't happen at Christmas time. And that's why we are where we are now. Is it enough to say to someone who's just come back from a week in Tenerife to say, go home now and stay home for two weeks? Is it enough? Well, as long as they adhere to it. That's you know? the point. Can um, you che- how are you going to check that? Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, you know, the guardie can call to the door and say, you know, is so-and-so at home? But they can't go in and they can't check and make sure that, you know, that the self-isolation rules are being adhered to. You know, and they don't know who's com- who else is coming in and out of that house. Um, so, no, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's in- insufficient. Your own patients, youngsters, mm. you know, we, we should focus on them. Um, they they are suffering through this. They're off school. They, their whole young lives have been upscuttled in a way that many of them are too young to understand. 
they're watching their parents going through this and trying to deal with it. Parents who've lost jobs or indeed are trying to work from home, trying to do the whole thing together. What are children going through, Neve? The children you meet. Uh, it's very hard to sort of encapsulate that into a sentence. The, the spectrum of suffering out there is quite incredible, really. Um, you know, you have you have. Say, let's let's go start with babies. Um, so babies aren't getting their public health checks. So babies who have potential developmental issues that could be sorted with a simple intervention are being missed. Um, the next level up then is say the toddlers who are missing out completely on socialisation. The next group then is the school children, um, you know, the primary school children who are at home. Their frazzled parents are trying to work from home and homeschool at the same time. I think mums and dads probably feel at the moment that they can't do anything well. They can't work properly and they can't parent properly and they certainly can't teach their children. So those children are exhibiting symptoms of stress. Um, they're complaining of abdominal pain, headaches. Uh, some of them have developed tics, like nervous tic disorder. Um, and, you know, they, their, their stress is manifesting itself as a physical symptom. And then you get to the teenagers, and like my heart absolutely goes out to the teenagers. The kids who have transitioned from sixth class into first, first year have had an incredibly hard time, and I've seen so many of them, again, with physical manifestations of stress. And then you have your cohort of exam students who don't have a clue what's going to happen to them mm. in the summer and are under huge pressure because they feel that you know every, every project that they do, every assignment that they do could it potentially contribute towards their leaving cert exam if it doesn't happen. So, you know, it's it's an unbelievably stressful environment and, for children. And does that stress, Neve, manifest itself in physical illness? Yes. So, like I said, we have children coming in with severe tummy pain, severe headaches, dizziness, uh, loss of appetite. Some children have developed eating disorders as a result of the stress. Um, you know, it's just incredible the burden that these children are carrying. Now, a simplistic answer would be, well, let them all go back to school, open up the economy and let's take our chances. But that would be ridiculous too. Well, you can do the school, but you can't do both. Do you know what I mean? So I think our priority should be our young people and should be getting them back to school. And if we can get them safely back to school, then the mums and dads who have to work from home can work from home. And the environment at home will become a lot easier. So when we had our level five lockdown before Christmas, children were in school, even though the economy was, inverted commas, shut down. You can't, you know, you can't keep opening economies and shutting down society. It doesn't work that way. Society has to start to function first children need to get back to school but they need to get back safely and the teachers have to be safe too and I've advocated continuously that teachers should be prioritised for vaccination yes. so that they can feel secure and safe. They're, they're category in- 11 on the list which doesn't look sensible at all. Not to my eyes, no. I mean, there needs to be a, a, a common sense approach to vaccination. Now, of course, you know, the whole vaccination schedule and things is completely dependent on supply, um, which has not gone according to plan. And, you know, to a degree that is outside of the hands of, of, of our government. But at the same time, you know, they have to think about young people and the effect and the impact that this is having on young people. And they have to say, how do we get our children back into a sort of a semi-normal state of being? How do we relieve the stress and anxiety that they're experiencing? Mm-hmm. And the logical way to do that is to say, right, teachers, you know, you are essential workers and you should be vaccinated. It's as simple as that, really. Mm, okay. Leave it there, Neve. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Neve Lynch, consultant to paediatrician at the Bonds, laying it bare as to how our children, from very young little ones to schoolgoers and leaving searchers, are being affected by this. And it's not in a good way.
But there's a very great point that she raises. And the teachers' unions raised it with me two weeks ago on this show. They want the schools back open again. So, vaccinate the teachers. Give the teachers their shots and let them get safely into school working again. And give the school janitor his or her shot. Give everybody working in the schools their vaccine. And then let the schools open when the staff are safe. It's a start, surely. 1850-715-996. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh, it's not true to say Gardy can't go into a house. I think even up to now they could use a warrant. In some cases, this would have been justified. If they can do it for TV licenses and some other offences, why not this? Well, we will be talking to the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors at around quarter to 11, and we'll get the position of the Garda with regard to these new travel restrictions, which effectively they now say that you have to stay at home in mandatory quarantine, but you can stay at home. So how are they going to check it? Will the guards have the right to come to your door and ask, is John here? Oh, he is, yeah. Can I see him? Oh, no, you can't. Okay, so, thanks very much. Can the guard insist on seeing John, or speaking to John? Or better again, if John isn't there, the the guard is entitled, or are they entitled to know where John is, and why he isn't at home? And can they then go and find John, down in Super Value, where he's getting rashers, and say, come here you, John, home, now. Can, can the, does the guard have that power? Because if not, it isn't worth a scratch. 1850-715-996. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Let's have another little blast of Cara before we move on to another conversation.
1850-715-996. want to go to a story that hit the headlines yesterday. Last year, in the summertime, there was a constant, I won't say battle, but it was a, a set to between young people who moved into houses, vacant houses, um, student accommodation, up around Magazine Road, College Road, Highfield, that kind of way, and the local residents association. And it went on for most of the summer because youngsters who, who couldn't go away on J-1 visas and couldn't do Leaving Cert holidays and couldn't do things like that, they moved in. And many of them stayed there for weeks on end while working, while working a couple of jobs. And there were some troublemakers, there absolutely were. And we had some very unpleasant scenes in the course of the summer. The Magazine Road Residents Association, I think, Catherine Clancy, in anticipation of that happening again, you've called for legal protection. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And just before we move on, PJ, I just, my sympathies to you, like, and so sorry to hear about Cara's passing. And also to Magella this morning when I heard her on, like, another great Cork woman. Just, um, you know, Cara, when I was in Lord Mayor's office, she was always just a phone call away yeah. just to help out, you know what I mean, whatever way she could. We were very proud of her as a Cork woman and also just to say to her family an extended huge circle of friends, huge sympathy and um, so sorry to hear that news. Yeah, they'll appreciate that, uh, Catherine. You're calling for new law to crack down on the houses that will be empty over the summer when they're not being rented by, by college people? No, not necessarily that, no, PJ. What we're looking for really is, um, you know, there's uh, laws in England and laws in Northern Ireland and they're about 30 years and they're called HMO legislation. And what it is, it's legislation specifically to do with houses that have multiple occupancies, that are houses that are rented by people, not a family, but people who aren't related or are just, you know, in that house sharing, that house, and that's the only connection they have. Okay. So in England, you have legislation going back 30 years that if you rent out one of these properties, you have to have a specific... Sorry, I lost you there for a second, Catherine. You know... If you, if you rent out one of these houses, you have to what? You have to have, um, you know, semi, if you have three bedrooms, you have to have a bathroom to go with it. If you have, you know, four people in the house, five people in the house, you need to have two bathrooms. You know, so it's about standards of accommodation and it's about the um, living space, about the bedroom space, um, not having shared bedrooms. So it's a whole lot of standards that don't exist and have never existed in Ireland. And we're looking for those conditions to be uh, put into legislation mm. and that we have a proper legislation to do with houses of multiple occupancy. Why, why now, we, though? Why, why now? Why, why now? not because previously? I suppose, well, I suppose we've always seen it as a residence association. Like, you know, we've seen houses here, and I even seen it during the pandemic, houses that haven't even been cleaned between lettings. Imagine that. And we have, you know, around us at the moment, like, you know, the students here, and I know, know, like, you know, we were up in harms with the students during the summertime. But by and large, like, you know, they're our neighbours and we're a very close community here and we care about each other. We have students now inside in houses at the moment where COVID has broken out. There's one bathroom for six or seven of them staying in that house, like, you know, how they manage to self-isolate. The bedroom or the, the sitting room downstairs that would be a shared space that people could move to out mm. of the bedroom is now another bedroom. And, you know, they deserve better conditions. And it isn't that these properties are being rented out cheaply. These are very expensive properties. 
and the only thing that reflects the expense like is the money that's been uh, taken in by the landlord but doesn't normally reflect reflected in the actual property that's been let out. Doesn't the, resi- does the residential properties board already set down standards? No, no. No, not really. Like the Residential Tenancy Board, that's another, I suppose, that's a story in itself, PJ, and we could talk about them all day, our experience with the Residential Tenancy Board. Yeah. First of all, if you make a complaint there, it's like a slow boat to China. Um, for, and the first thing you do, if you ring, the landlord has to be registered. And if the landlord isn't registered, they have to follow that up. That takes three months before the landlord is tracked down. And are there any and sanctions for an unregistered I landlord? I tell you no. I tell you no about that, uh, PJ. This is hard to believe. Like, you know, but in 2017, we as a residence association um, did a survey of our own area, which is just around the UCC area, and of the houses. And we did another one in 2020. 245 houses that have a statutory, a legal requirement to be registered with the PRTB, um, only uh, about 157 were not registered. 157, 70%, and that was the same in 2017. We sent all that information onto the PRTB in 2017, and when we did the survey again in 2020, the exact same houses came up. It's a statutory requirement. It's a huge loss of revenue to the state. I think, you know, when I was on council, there was 10,000 landlords in Cork City. Mm-hmm. And if you have 7,000 landlords they're not paying their registration fee, which could be approximately about 300 euros a house, and they only have to pay it every four years if the tenants don't change and they're not complying. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the little amount of legislation that's there. So what we want is proper legislation. So we've written to all political parties asking them to move on this legislation to bring Ireland into the 20, 20th century as far mm-hmm. as renting properties are concerned. Your students today who are in houses around by us in terrible conditions, paying huge money, miserable because they're not down at the college, first of all, like, you know what I mean? So they're studying from at home and they're studying from these rented properties. But for the mm. prices they pay, they should be sitting so, in So this, Catherine, and everything, and I'm aware now that you told me about the, the HMO regulation and, mm-hmm. in fact, a landlord needs a permit in the north yeah. of Ireland or in the UK to rent out a house like. in the manner that it's rented out up around yeah. there. But this, uh, this, this call has nothing, and maybe I'm being mischievous here, tell me if I am, but this call has nothing to do with the fact that it's almost certain now the houses will be rented out again this summer. Well, the, rent, the houses are rented at the moment, and to be honest with you, um, you know, another issue there, I suppose, and we're t- I'm talking on behalf of our neighbours, the students here, like you know, last September, Many landlords, and that's another thing that we feel shouldn't be allowed to happen again. Many landlords asked for the whole lot of the money up front, seven, between six and eight thousand euro for the for the year for any student coming into their house. I mean, that's a huge amount of money. No landlord should be able to request, or ask and be entitled to ask for a year's money in advance. You know, they get the money and they're gone. And a lot of what happened, unfortunately, for a lot of the students around here this year, their parents or themselves had paid the money and they weren't able to occupy those houses since Christmas. You know, so there's a lot of areas, like, you know, to do. And I suppose as residents of the area, you know, if the standards for students come up, the standards for our area come up as well because some of those houses even though they're bringing in huge, huge money, the maintenance, management and upkeep is, uh, and, how, and, well, and they're not fit for purpose. To, to be know? fair, I did see photographs of many of the interiors last summer and I'd have to concur with you there. I wouldn't let a dog stay in some of them. But 
some people were, were happy to pay the money and stay there. Catherine, thank you very much. I'll leave it there. I've no doubt we will speak again on this. Uh, thanks very much. That's Catherine Clancy of the Magazine Road Residents Association. They're looking for the You know those houses that all the students had last summer? In the north, if you have a house like that with six or seven rooms in it that you rent out to different people, you have to have a license to do it. And in England as well. She wants the same licensing approach at this end. Uh, in time for the summer so that they won't fill with students again and they won't have parties and barbecues again. I think that's what she's not saying. But anyway, 1850-715-996 on vaccinations. Where do the TDs and the government ministers appear on the vaccination list? That's a very good question. Uh, We know that a government minister can get a test turned around in two hours. Probably, well, I suppose the... The PCR test in itself takes a couple of hours to come through the, the lab, so government minister can be tested now at quarter to 11 and will certainly have their result before 6 o'clock this evening. You'd wonder when they got there. I wonder, did they get their vaccines yet? I wonder, did anybody think, any political correspondent, think to ask that question? Did they get their vaccines yet? Mark and Bantry says the people of Ireland could go to level zero. We have the willpower, but the government hasn't. That's Mark and Bantry. And here's one that's coming up a lot. Playgrounds and parks need to be closed to get numbers down. The kids and parents are moving too freely around all the parks. And then they're blame, blaming the powers that be for the higher numbers. And with regard to incoming flights, you might have seen the piece on primetime last night. There it was, 20 foreign students coming off a plane at Dublin Airport and Irish people coming back from holidays in Lanzarote on primetime. Yet when the Minister for Bicycles, I presume you mean him and Ryan, was asked about it live on air, he gave a very court reply. 1850-715-996. Let's go back, though, to those restrictions of having to stay in your own home to quarantine. And it will now be mandatory. And in some way, they'll devise a way to police it. I'll try and get the views of the Garda Shikana next. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96 FM. To just go through again what the new announcement was yesterday. Lockdown extended until at least the 5th of March. That's the predominant feature. Uh, at least the 5th of March, that would be two weeks or 12 days before St. Patrick's Day. I think we can probably take it even at that stage that any relaxation of it will be very minor and minuscule and there's no way that they'll open a pub or a restaurant in time for St. Patrick's Day. And rightly so, we've got to hold firm with this one. The quarantine period for all international travellers, which is presently a recommendation, so you arrive in and you're recommended to self-isolate, you're recommended to restrict your movements. That will now become mandatory. But you do it at home. So you go home, you promise to stay home for two weeks. Now, someone was tweeting this morning, Johnny and Mary have just arrived back from a week in Fertiventura against all advice to travel out of the country. Do you really think that they'll go to lock themselves up at home and not go out for the fortnight? Should they be in super value stocking up the fridge uh, by half eleven? 
So how is it going to be policed? Antoinette Cunningham from the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors. Antoinette, good morning to you. Good morning. Looking down the list and looking at the resources to hand, can you police this? I think we have done a very good job of policing it so far, uh, despite all of the challenges that it has brought. But I think these new proposals and new regulations around quarantining are extremely um, worrying for AGSI. Uh, We don't have the detail, of course, um, which is concerning for us also. We hear lots of talk, so we we don't know the full details of what's expected from Angarda Siakana. But I have to say that the practical application... um, of calling into somebody's home to check to see are they self-quarantining in their own house, we believe is problematic and difficult for us to enforce. Let me base my questions, Antoinette, on on the law as it stands as of this moment, okay? So I'm supposed to be self-isolating or quarantining in my house. Yes. Um, And a member of Vanguard the comes to my front door and asks if I'm there. And my wife or my son or my daughter says, yes, he is. Is a member of Ungarda Shikana then entitled to ask to see me or speak to me? Well, currently at the moment, we don't have regulations that allow this type of interaction. We don't have power that allows us to enter into your home. We can only enter into your home uh, under warrant or under the strictest conditions uh, where a serious crime has been uh, committed. So at the moment, we don't have the power to go into your house to see are you adhering by these COVID uh, proposals so in other words, if I don't are. answer the door, you have no way of knowing and no way of finding out if I'm there. That's absolutely correct. Right. Yeah, so, so, so this, is, this is the point that Ag's here making. People make legislation and governments make laws, but the practical implement, implementation and enforcement of those laws falls to the guardies. Unfortunately for us, we don't get a consultative process to air the, the very practical situations, the ones that you, you and I are talking about now, and then the enforcement is left to the Gardaí. And uh, without proper legislation, we just don't have the power to go into people's house. If nobody answers that door, there is nothing currently that we can do. So what would need to change to allow... Like the, the Taoiseach said that the, requirement, or the, the request to self-isolate will become mandatory. What, what, would, what would need to change to, do, to allow you do that? Well, obviously law and legislation would have to be passed and I think that 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 type of legislation would raise serious concerns amongst civil liberties groups, citizens who may not want their homes uh, invaded for health regulation. So I think the passing of legislation is what's required from a Garda perspective to give us the legal authority. But I'm not so sure that that's a road we should be going down is to make laws to go into people's houses to see are they checking. Look, there is a virus here. The government are working very hard to try and suppress the virus but really, is it a better contact tracing system mm. with HSE personnel, enforcement officers? That's, is that what's needed mm. here? Antoinette, your opposite numbers in Australia and New Zealand, p- police forces there were quickly given, and if they, did, if they didn't have them already, quickly given the powers. For example, I spoke to one man from Cork who went home to New Zealand where he's a citizen, and the 7 o'clock in the morning after he arrived home, Canaga Rondurus, and a police officer insisting upon seeing him. Mm. And they've obviously been given the legislative framework to do that in Australia. Would, would you be comfortable with that, Antoinette? Uh, well, look, we, whether we're comfortable with the law or not, it falls to us to enforce it if it's yeah. passed. So, so our, our, our levels of comfort and discomfort become irrelevant very quickly in that if legislation is passed and the power is vested in us to do it, and we're our, we work in a rank structure, if we're ordered to do it, we will do it and we will carry it out. Mm. But currently, it's not there. So some, in terms of 
uh, we have a problem with communication, it seems, here, and we have, we, we have a problem with consultation. The teachers yeah. were, unions were up at arms about not being consulted with, or not consulted with regard to return to schools for special needs. Did anybody pick up the telephone to your organisation or anybody in the last couple of days and say, look, we're thinking about doing this, how would it work? Absolutely not. Absolutely and categorically not. We don't get that level of consultation. Uh, I haven't been contacted by anybody in the minister's office or in government to seek our views. I certainly haven't been contacted from anybody within the Garda organisation itself. Maybe senior Garda management are having some conversations with the, the office of the minister. Maybe mm. that's going on. Well, I mean, you represent high-ranking officers, sergeants that's and inspectors. So yeah. if that was going on, Antoinette, I suspect it would trickle down to you. Well, I'm sure maybe at some stage it might, but I can tell you categorically, and as, as and from this morning, it hasn't. Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you very much for that. No problem. Cheers. No problem. That's Antoinette. Thank you. Antoinette, thank you. Antoinette Cunningham of the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors. So, as of now, they don't have the right under legislation. As we speak, as she's just explained to me, as of this moment, a guard does not have the right to go to your front door, ask for you, and insist that you come to the door or insist that you be brought out if you don't. If you don't answer the door, the guard has no power to ask for you under any kind of a quarantine system. He, she doesn't know whether they'll get that power. So what's the point of saying it'll be enforceable if you don't have the law to enforce it? Jim said the guards don't have powers because the Taoiseach didn't give them powers. Michal Martin especially is unable to make decisions. This is the time that we need a decision maker. In terms of people isolating or not isolating, don't always be the doubting Thomas. We isolated for 20 days. People were passing remarks saying that we did not. That's very hurtful. I'm sure I'm not the only one doing this. There are many of us using our initiative and intelligence to do the right thing. I take your point, caller. I absolutely take your point. And if you did that, fair play to you. But I'm telling you straight out, I don't believe everyone does it. Because there are certain elements of our Irish society that unless you enforce it with law, unless you enforce it with sanction, they just ain't going to do it. 1850 Let's go back down. Uh, yeah, Jerry says, we have a window now of a couple of months before the African strain arrives here. That's if it isn't here already or the present new strain mutates. In any case, either of these scenarios need to be taken into serious consideration by the government and planned for, as it's going to happen. I've just heard Leo Varadkar mention about opening schools on a phased basis. This will be a disaster. Hopefully not, but sure, we'll see. Many schools might possibly be closed for the rest of the year. Well, I sincerely hope the schools won't be closed for the rest of the year. But they certainly will be closed until after St. Patrick's Day, at a minimum. At a minimum, they'll be closed until after St. Patrick's Day. Just some more of your lovely messages. And there are lovely, lovely messages coming in about, uh, about Cara. Elizabeth in Kinsale says, I remember hearing the lovely voice of Cara O'Sullivan in Ballymaloo a few years ago, accompanied by Magella Colour. She was full of fun. She will be sadly missed by all of her many, many fans. Uh, I have a friend with dementia, says this caller, and singing songs uh, brought her back to or brings her back to... And it was a real demonstration of, of Cara that she would sing up, she, she would sing, stand up and sing anywhere. Uh, 
Someone was telling a, a story on social media last night that she sang up, she, she met Cara, this person met Cara, uh, was sitting having coffee with a friend of hers, and there's Cara at the next table, uh, just having her own coffee, and... Actually, you know what? I think it might have been... Was it Darren? It was our Darren sent a little story last night that Darren was sitting with a friend and that he gestured to his friend, there's Cara O'Sullivan at the next table. She's a great singer. And within minutes, she was singing. Uh, she would sing just because she could. And it's so sad. That was, that, that was the last... Ah, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. 1850-715-996. Jerry says, giving the Gardaí more power and doing assisted patrols with the guards would immediately have the effect of reducing the numbers on the street. We also need some mechanism so the guards know if people are on their way home are going to say where they are going. Yeah, that's another thing. Your five-kilometre limit is going to be more rigidly enforced with more checkpoints. But where are they going to get the guards? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 the email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything from the first two hours of our show today remember that the podcast goes up in mid-afternoon all the ads and the news and everything taken out just give you the whole show goes up usually sometime after two o'clock in the afternoon we put it up first via Twitter we tweet the link and then it goes up on all the various platforms, including if you're carrying it on your phone. If you're not, where's your note from your parents excusing you? The Cork's 96FM app. You'll find it there under podcasts from mid-afternoon. Catch up on any element of the opinion line that you may have missed. Jerry said, even giving the Gardaí more power and doing assisted patrols with the army would immediately have an effect on reducing the numbers. And then... Craig, hi PJ, it's not brain surgery. If you don't allow them into the country, they don't have to be monitored for quarantine. They don't have to be using up valuable gather resources. We will come back to that. But the Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, has announced that he is opening an online book of condolences at noon today to mark the passing of Cara O'Sullivan. She was, as he points out, the inaugural recipient of Cork's Culture Award in 2019 recognition of her outstanding contribution to the artistic and cultural life of the city. Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh said there was deep sadness in Cork and across the country last night when we learned of the death of one of our greatest talents and one of our most wonderful personalities. Cara was blessed with a voice that could stop you in your tracks when it was played on the radio. To have seen her perform in Cork City Hall on numerous occasions was to have been truly privileged. Our yesterday Gareva Hanum Dealish, the book of condolences will go live on CorkCity.ie from 12 noon. Darren's message that he sent us last evening, uh, I should not have half quoted it. This is our own Darren Johnson who said, I can't say I knew Cara very well outside of meeting her once or twice at work. But I remember one day going for a cup of coffee with a friend and seeing her sitting at a table a bit away from us. I did the obligatory, that's Cara O'Sullivan, she's an amazing singer bit. And we nodded in agreement for a moment before moving on with our conversation. A few minutes later, out of nowhere, Cara started singing. I can't remember what song it was, but the whole place just felt silent and listened. I remember looking around for the reaction. Some people looked confused and surprised. Others were smiling. Others had their eyes closed, savouring the moment. Cara finished and the place erupted with applause. 
smiles everywhere. She gently motioned her hand in a very modest thank you, finished her cup of coffee and left with her friend. Again, I can't say I knew her at all, but that day I experienced the magical ability she possessed at first hand. That day she brought happiness to a room full of people, just like she spent her entire life doing. It's a moment I'll never forget, and I'm thankful for it. May she rest in peace. That was our own Darren Johnson sent that to us last evening. 1850 I played, or I opened this morning, uh, by playing this very precious piece of audio, which I'm so thrilled that uh, I was sent last evening. Here we go. No one's gone anywhere just yet. I have been waiting for this all evening. The Christmas song of all Christmas songs. To finish our show, the combined choirs with Cara O'Sullivan, Oh Holy Night. Good night, take care, and happy Christmas. It was the finale to a concert celebrating 50 years of the City of Cork Male Voice Choir. I was honoured to MC that event, but that was also to be Carol Sullivan's final public performance. Um, Mick, Mick Corgan was the secretary of the Voice Choir, still is the secretary of the Male Voice Choir, uh, and was heavily involved in that concert. Mick, good morning to you. Well, PJ, I have a lump in my throat after hearing that because uh, I was on stage that night with yourself, as you can remember, and it was such a fantastic performance. Mm. Uh, I actually put it up there Christmas uh, on our Facebook page, mm. and uh, it still brings, like, you know, a tear to my eye. What, what a fantastic performer. Mm. Um, Little I did think, we uh, know that, well, we, I, yeah. we had an idea because she, we knew mm. she wasn't well, and I had spoken to her off stage and asked her how she was, and we'd had a chat, and then yeah. I'd gone off and made myself a cup of coffee or something in between performances, and I came back and she'd forgotten she'd met me. Yeah. Um, you know, so she wasn't well at all at that point, but 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 she she was the voice was still as powerful as ever. But little did we know that, that would be the last time she'd sing in public. Yeah, we were, we were worried actually that like you know uh, that she wouldn't get through the performance, but by heck, uh, she got the performance of her life and. Uh, I actually put it up on Facebook and I said there wasn't a microphone in the house there if you no. listen to us. No. And what advice. And it was recorded from down the hall as well. Um, I think all the choir members are devastated. Uh, or WhatsApp is going there all day since we heard the news yesterday. Um, we actually, like, some of, the, some of the lads in the choir actually sang Cara in the 80s. So, like, she's, she's like, on the go that long. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, our, our president, uh, Eddie Stragg, like, was saying that... Uh, no, he was saying this last year that um, she was like uh, one of her first her first performances uh, in the early days was with the city of Cork Male Vice Choir, really? and as you say, like her last one was like, and it's uh, it's so sad, mm. so sad. Uh, actually, that uh, that story that you're telling about the coffee, mm. uh, the coffee shop, um, myself and Mick Battle, chairman, we were actually out in Costa in Turner's Cross. Uh, making arrangements for the concert with Carol. We were having a cup of coffee and just going over uh, the programme and that and what we were going to sing. And um, we had been like uh, playing around with a few different uh, songs and uh, I had this one in my head, uh, you know, the, the gendarmes. Uh, no, we yeah. run them in, we run them in. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Cara, and then Carol was like humming and she says, uh, so I said, look, what about uh, an operatic song? So up she got and actually performed an operatic song. And I have I actually have that on video. It's like 
you know, I, I think people were actually shocked at first, like, say, what's going on? But then when they realised, oh, that's Carol, you know, and, uh, you know, it's uh, such a lovely memory to have uh, of her, and uh, she was a great character. Um, may she rest in peace, we're all devastated. Yeah. And uh, I just hope that, uh, you know, everyone will be all right. Uh, I hope her, I know, I hope uh, Sean, uh, that uh, I just wish him well as well, and not her sister. Yeah, two uh, sisters and two sisters and a brother. Two sisters, yeah, and her daughter. And of course. Uh, yeah, Kara, yeah, and uh, Kerry Moroni actually, like uh, who was our accompanist that night, looked after Kara that night as well, along with her sister. But um, I, I was so like so proud standing on that stage with her that mm. night uh, to be like on the same stage as with such a fantastic talent and such a fantastic personality. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's you know we really lost uh, an icon of singing in Cork. If we ever get back to singing, the question I suppose as well was uh, not taken away. You know, I, I have a lovely photograph that I put up as my new Facebook profile for a few days, and I posted across my social media last night on hearing her death. And that photograph was taken backstage at that very concert. Okay. Yeah. So right. yeah, yeah, it was it was a wonderful yeah. time. And and you know what? To, can I thank you? Mick, for your and your committee giving me the opportunity to work with with her one last time back then it was yeah. wonderful it was wonderful yeah it's uh, it's a living memory like and uh, we're so glad like, that we had like all that stuff recorded as well yeah. and especially that oh holy night yeah i was actually looking for us uh, because you know Ron Collins he plays this uh, oh holy night every christmas he does yeah for i don't know the week like and uh, i was actually looking for it and i couldn't find that next thing it popped up mm. Uh, just just uh, uh, Christmas week, uh, but um, no, it, I'll definitely be submitting it anyway, and hopefully, like ninety six FM will be playing this. Well, you never know. Uh, now. If we get, going forward I every year. I don't know if we, if we get a good no. if we get a good solid recording of it. We're absolutely yes. delighted to do it. Absolutely delighted yes, to do it. Yes, uh, there was actually a girl there from um, she was from a radio station. She's supposed to send me on the recordings. She was actually recording it professionally. So I'm just going on to her. Do that, and we can get, if we can get that know, come Christmas, we'll do absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, Mick, absolutely. Thank you All so right, much. PJ, Thank you. Again. Take care. That's Mick uh, Corgan from the City of Cork Male Voice Choir, with whom uh, Cara gave her last public performance. I suppose really it wasn't because she then, as we're hearing so much of places, she just turned up in a coffee shop and sang at a whim. Because God bless her and God love her, she still could. And by by God could she still do it. And she could still raise the rafters and shake the slates. And she did it for sheer pleasure. Um, for as long as she was able. 1850-715-996. I want to go to Senator Tim Lombard. Um, there's a question has arisen about people being asked for their COVID-19 status when they go to get insurance Tim, good morning. What's happening here? Good morning, PJ. How are you getting on? Good. Um, look, this thing came, came to my office maybe about two days ago. Uh, people who are going for life insurance, one of the questions on the actual questionnaire, which wasn't on a previously for obvious reasons, was whether or not you had COVID-19. And we were flabbergasted when this came to our office. Um, like, there's no real long-term effects that have been proven to actually have COVID-19. It's only 19, it's only what, twin, mm-hmm. um, 10 months in existence. And now there's going to be a loading put on policies 
at least we're under the illusion that the, because they're asking the question, there's going to be loading put on policies. So I've written to the, to the Finance Committee. I've asked them to have the insurance companies come before the Finance Committee, the Oireachtas, to explain their logic, to explain what they're proposing to do, and also to explain how they can actually put a loading on a sector of society that could have had COVID-19, but the majority of these people could have been the people that could have been trying to save people's lives in the actual front line. Mm. And people who are looking for life insurance predominantly are of a certain age that they're probably working. They're probably, unfortunately, working in the CUH. And the lady that came to me was working in the CUH. So, like, that's the kind of scenario that you're actually going to inflict more, more pain on. And I think as an insurance company... They need to look in their souls to see what exactly they're doing because they cannot go through it if they have any logic in their argument. Now, in, in applying for life assurance, and anybody who's never done it might not know this, there's a whole medical section that you've got to go through and you're expected to answer it honestly and truthfully. And that would ask for things like cancer, things like mm. cardiac conditions, things like any kind of chronic illness. And it's to that section you're telling me that COVID-19 yes. has been added as yes, a previous fact, condition. Yeah, so this has never been, for obvious reasons, because COVID wasn't here 10 months ago, a part of that section. So the Insurance Federation have actually agreed that they have pushed into their actual criteria that some insurance companies are now asking the question. And I think it's totally out of the bounds of actually fairness or even honesty of the insurance companies to be asking that question. Like, we, it's 10 months in existence. We don't know if there's any long-term elements pertaining mm. to COVID in a few years' time, but they're going to put a loading on a policy for people. Mm. Like, that is illogical. Now, according and, to the examiner, Tim, um, a representative for the insurance umbrella group, Insurance Ireland, said it would be standard practice to ask such a question. I, and that is a, that's why I actually have written to John McGuinness, the chairman of the actual finance committee, to actually ask that question. How could it be standard practice for every virus now that's going to be here before or afterwards is going to be a part of this actual uh, criteria? I don't think that actually stacks up. It's not standard practice previously. Like, there has been no issue with SARS or any other virus previously on this actual loading before. So I think there's a, they're on a wing and a prayer here. I think they're making up the rules as they go. And I think the insurance regulator has a role here to actually check them because who's going to pay is the people who are actually on the front line. And that's totally wrong. This okay. is simply wrong, like, you know. Okay. Tim, thank you very much. That's Senator Tim Lombard. Uh, that change is interesting that if you go looking for life insurance now, you may be asked in the course of your application whether or not you've had COVID-19. 1850-715-996. Have you joined the sea shanty craze yet? This was a ship that put to sea. The name of the ship was a belly of tea. The winds blew I remember waking up one Christmas morning and that was playing on the radio. Going, what the hell was that about? The world has lost its mind on sea shanties. More coming up next. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM.
once was a ship that put to sea The name of the ship was a belly of tea The winds blew up her bow dip down below my billy boys blow Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum One day when the tonguing is done we'll take our leave and go Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum one day when the tongue is done, we'll take our leave and go. That'll be an earworm on you now for the rest of the day. The Weller Man, it's called Nathan Evans. It has entered the charts. He was a postman a few weeks ago. Now he has signed a record deal with Polydor Records. He's releasing an album of sea shanties. He's got 650,000 followers on TikTok, millions of views on YouTube and the official chart, the official singles chart this weekend, the UK singles chart, he will he will be number four and may well hit number one. The song has also been remixed. I wonder if we can find this. I'd say it must be hilarious. It's been remixed by 202 Kid as well. Uh, the Malgoggers, though, have been singing this song, I think, for a while. Um, John and... Uh, Paddy from the Mulgargers joined me now. Hi, lads. Good morning to you. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Good. Now, regulars on the Arts House, of course, Pierce, Pierce has had you on a couple of times. And again, an, a, an unexpected hit. Does it, either of you know the history of the Weatherman? Of the Weatherman? Yeah, well, there were... Um, it's uh, the, There were two brothers, the Weller brothers... Um, were based in Sydney, Australia, and they had a supply business supplying the uh, whaling stations along the coast of New Zealand. And as you can imagine, you know, they were marooned out there for weeks at a time, and they looked forward seriously to the Wellermen bringing the provisions. Um, and that's the, the basis of the song. Now, in the actual song itself, as recorded, uh, there's a ship mentioned called the Billy O'Tee, as in a billy can, mm. and that, that's a whaler. And apparently they'd been chasing a whale for 40 days and 40 nights and uh, the crew were saying, oh God, can we get ashore and have the Wellerman come to bring us our provisions? So that's the basis of the song, really. Yeah, it's a New Zealand yes. sea shanty. Tell us a bit about sea shanties. I mean, we all know kind of what they are, but they, they are a specific kind of song, a kind of rhythm, kind of tune, and they're made for fellas singing them as they're out on the, on the deck of a boat. Well, I'll tell you there, PJ, they, uh, you're quite right. Uh, sea shanties have been have had a following for a good few years, in fact. They featured in video games like Assassin's Creed. What? And movies like The Pirates of Penzance. Sorry, The no, Pirates Car- of, Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. Um, they, they were wor- working songs. In other words, when sails were being hoisted, anchors were being, were being weighed or, or, or whatever, Songs were sung to the beat of the uh, rhythm of the actual uh, operation taking place. Mm. Uh, so, like, they've been around for a good for a good few years. Um, the weatherman, of course, has got all the publicity because of its uh, because of it of TikTok. Now, mm. we, funny enough, we don't sing that song yet. Mm. But we're thinking of. Um, I thought you did. It in our repertoire. Mm. Would you fancy? Would you fancy having a go off it then? Uh, well, at some stage, yeah, we must rehearse because we've there's eight in our group. <coughs> excuse me, there's eight in our group, and we have, really haven't had any music uh, sessions for the last year. Mm. We were supposed to go to Gdansk, we were supposed to go to Falmouth, mm. and we are earmarked to go to 
um, the a few more a few more gigs, mm. but unfortunately, we think they'll all be cancelled. I think we're looking at another another dry year. Yeah. In in that regard, TikTok um, has escalated this lad from being a twenty six year old postman from <laughs> Lanarkshire. Yeah. into being an international recording star in, in a matter of, of a couple of weeks. But TikTok has also drawn in tens of thousands, if not millions, of fans worldwide for sea shanties, which is a very strange thing. Well, I'll tell you about that now. In, 19, in 2017, we were leaving Dublin Airport to go to Falmouth for the Sea Shanty Festival, the biggest sea shanty festival in Europe. And we were waiting for the aircraft to, to be called when the word came uh, to board, so we got up and we sang a song called All Aboard. Mm. That song was composed by our founder, Jimmy Halligan, and within, I think, a week, it got 66,000 hits. How about that? That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. By the way, incidentally, Jim Halligan, our founder, is recovering in hospital at the moment, and we wish him all the best. And as well as that, it was very sad to hear this morning about the, about the, 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 the deaths... Uh, you know, we we sang with her three or four times. Did you? Yeah, it was very sad. Wait, where did you where did you sing with her? We sang in the opera house. Mm-hmm. We sang over in the tavern arms in in uh, in passage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sang uh, when I was singing with the East Cork Choral. I sang in Cove Cathedral. Nice. Uh, so it was very 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 sad to hear of her demise. Mm-hmm. There's another voice. I don't know which is which. You're you're Paddy, aren't you? I'm Paddy. You're Paddy. Yeah, and John, did I, did I hear you? Did I hear you going mm, there yeah. in the background? Yeah, well, to see when Paddy uh, likes to drop there uh, the mention that he sang in Cove Cathedral and sang with Cara. You know, <laughs> as you can gather, it's a fun group, and um, <laughs> we don't take each other too seriously. Just on the subject of TikTok, incidentally, I mean, three weeks ago, most of us thought TikTok was the song the grandfather clock made, um, but when this suddenly. Um, became a big thing. Uh, the youngest person in the house here said to me, hey, you want to get the, the shanties up there? So we took that clip from Dublin Airport in the departure lounge and we put it up on TikTok and at the moment we're over 30,000 views. Get away. So there we go. So we're the next big thing. Yeah, well TikTok, TikTok works a little bit like Netflix in that when you start following a particular kind of video on TikTok, it throws more of them at you. Yeah. Yeah, um, we we found that that they're coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> Great. All these shanty groups. Um, very few shanty groups in Ireland, by the way. There are only, uh, uh, well, there are two hooks and crooks in Waterford have been going about fifteen years, and ourselves. And um, because there isn't a huge tradition of shanty singing in Ireland, is mainly associated with the uh, the sailing ships and the the big sailing lines and the the heyday, the golden day of sail. Between the 1820s and the 1920s. Incidentally, PJ, the name, the name Malgovers. I was just going to ask, actually, yeah. Go on. Because a lot of people ask what it means. I tell you, um, we were formed since 2013, and about two, um, <clears throat> we normally sing it on Monday night, and after about two or three weeks, we're inside in a poem cove called the Quarrycock. The what? And we were thinking about a name for the group. What's it called, the pub? At the quarry cock. Right. Okay. So we were saying the quarry cock, and we came, we were thinking of what to call ourselves, and Pat Mead was there, and he was asking, what kind of names do you have on board ship? So we were thinking about Bullring and Davids and Punkalovers. So I said, because I served in the Navy, and I served on Tunt Class Minesweepers, I said, you know a great name would be the Malgoggers. Right. Now, a Malgogger 
is a structure, a timber structure that's secured to the stern on the transom of a, a ton-class sweeper, which we served, which four of us served on. And it's composed of four vertical uh, timber blocks made from lignum visa, and in between those roller blocks is a horizontal block, also made from lignum visa. Mm. And the purpose of the Mulgarver is to make sure that when, when warps and wires are being paid out over the stern, that they don't get caught. They stay together and they mm. don't get caught in the propeller. I kind of keep them from tangling up. Yeah, um, exactly, yes. You're on the ball. Paddy, your, your, your nephew, uh, the Lord Mayor. Yes, indeed. Uh, says you sang Who Killed Cock Robin? At the wedding, <laughs> <laughs> and they all knew you were destined for great things. When I played rugby for co-pirates, <laughs> at the end of at the end of a, a, a I know an evening, you can imagine what it was like. My part to be was standing on a local and a table and conducting a rendition of Who Killed Cockrobin. <laughs> <laughs> Good fun in the old days, yeah. All right, lads, listen. Thanks very much and continued success. It's a it's it's a terribly dull old time for music and for performance, but as soon as we can. Hear you again. We look forward to it. John Crone and Paddy Kavanagh of the Mulgoggers from Cove, one of Ireland's sea shanty groups. Uh, there's another one here. Fergal put this. This is, is this, they call themselves the lottery winners. And they're doing a sea shanty, but I wouldn't have thought it was a sea shanty. Here we go. We, we all just want to be big rock stars living in that's the Nickelback song, Rockstar, done in sea shanty style by the lottery winners. But I'm sorry, it is such an earworm. I have to play it again to go to the... go to. This is great. Nathan Evans, we must get the remix. Fergal, your job is to try and find the remix. This is the, the Weller Man. This was a ship that put to sea. The name of the ship was a belly of tea. The winds blew up her bow, up down below. My belly boys blow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Lovely idea on the north side of the city to keep the, the little ones occupied during lockdown. And hopefully, as the weather starts to improve over the next few weeks... Uh, we can get them involved in, in this little activity. Don O'Sullivan, good morning to you. Hey, PJ, good morning. Good. A fairy trail. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, uh, there's a walkway above in, uh, St Mary's campus in the primary care centre there, the old uh, orthopaedic hospital. And there's a nice little walkway. Uh, it's probably one and a half kilometres all, uh, all around. So uh, what we decided is that, they, well, originally the HSE put out that route uh, for a sleeveless client to... Uh, so we said we'd elaborate a bit more on this. Uh, we were thinking about it for a bit, so we got around to doing it. Uh, so we came up with the Tiernanog Fairy Trail. Mm. So what we did is that we just got some fairy doors, cut them out. People gave us fairy doors, uh, just cut out some timber mushrooms and painted them up and just added them around the, the walkway. And uh, it's turning into a big hit, thank God. So people are, are getting out. We know with uh, 
the homeschooling that the parents are at that would send at the moment. Mm. A lot of the parents and you know, it's just to break that monotony and that cycle of being well, indoors. That, that, that's something could, that could pass hours at home if you arm the kiddies with some little cra- bits of craft materials and some crayons and markers and stuff and tell them to make a, a fairy door. It'll be lovely. It, it, it would, and you'd get a, you know you'd get a couple of hours, and the parents would get a couple of hours downtime, you know, and mm. as well with the children, you know, to keep them occupied. But you know, you'd get a couple of hours, and also then the creativity is coming out of the children, you know. So they're coming up with the fairy doors, what you know, whatever it may be, or even if they want to add a toy to it, they can do that and put it around. But I think it's just the interaction. Mm-hmm. of breaking away from the parents and the children and getting the creativity out yeah. course, and, and getting something done. Just to remind listeners, Don, you're with the group we've talked to before, Impact Our Community Matters, and in the first and second lockdown, you guys played a big role in helping out people in the community. How are they dealing with this one? This one seems to be the hardest one. It is, and I think uh, with the extra measures now that's in place till March the 5th, you know, from talking to people and from interacting on social media, you can see it. But look, you know, in communities across the city, you know, they rally around, you know, OK, I might be biased because being from the north, from Nocturne, where there is a great sense of community there, you know, it is taking the toll and people are starting saying, you know, I have enough. But we want to create that distraction yeah. where they're saying, you know, OK, let's, let's get on with it, let's, let's get the head down. And get on with it. But look, I mean, from the orthopedic, uh, from the start of the lockdown, we, we put mobile phones, thanks to Derek in IFIX Blarney, you know, so we put mobile phones in into the primary care centres above there, head of house, and in Farnley Roads, you know, mm-hmm. just to give the interaction where the where the, the, the people in the, the in the nursing homes were able to talk to family. But I think, you know, just enhancing that now, I suppose, look, it has become a lot more popular where the, the, the unit themselves had bought phones and things like that. Yeah. And so now we're enhancing on the outside, right. on the, the nature side right. of it. It's, 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 great, it's great work. And as hopefully, you know, the, as I said, the weather improves over the next few weeks and we head into to get remote. late yeah. winter, early spring, that we get people out wandering around. It's a lovely idea. And thank you for it. And thanks for all the great work that Impact Our Community Matters does. That's Dennis, or Don rather, Don O'Sullivan. And remember... It's only for people within five kilometres of that walkway. You can't be going outside your five kilometres. 1850-715996. Joe in Glenmire says about Cara Sullivan, she loved to sing one of her mother's favourite songs, We'll Gather Tulips in the Spring Again. I remember her doing that song. Gorgeous, gorgeous song. And probably not a recording of it anywhere to be had. But uh, Cork Treasure, sadly missed. Sorry, so sorry to hear the passing of the wonderful Cara. I'll always be grateful for the day when she was happy to give us her time to sing at the Besborough commemoration. She'll be hugely missed. May she rest in peace. That's Martin, Martin Parfrey from the Besborough commemoration committee. Indeed, yes, Cara uh, did sing for us down there one beautiful, beautiful June Sunday afternoon a couple of years ago, having previously been unable to join us and substituting her friend, Magella Culler. Uh, she promised me that day when she was substituting Magella, she promised me that she would do it for me the year afterwards, and indeed she did. Uh, Orla and Maeve and Trish and Matt. God, it's early in the morning in New York. It's 22.7 in New York. Or is it in York? Oh, York in England. Sorry, York over in England.
It's Trish and Matt and Orla and Maeve in York in England. Great hearing my dad Paddy and my uncle John talking about sea shanties. They also performed at the Ploughing Championships a few years ago and at my sister's wedding. A group for all occasions. Can't wait to get home when it's safe to do so. 1850 We finish off this Wednesday the way we began. And our programme has been quite rightly dominated this morning by our memories of the wonderful Cara O'Sullivan who passed away yesterday, passed away at 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon in Marymount uh, with her daughter and uh, at her side, Christine. And Cara, born in 1962, grew up in the Loch and went on to be a star in the biggest opera houses and biggest opera stages of the world. She literally went from Cork to Sydney and back. And she was as comfortable in the industrial hall in Clonakilty as she was on the stage in Sydney Opera House or indeed on the stage of her beloved Everyman where she appeared many, many times. The last time I saw her there was in Faust, which was a wonderful, wonderful performance. Dennis McSweeney, Chairman of the Theatre. Dennis, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Desperately Thanks. sad day. She was a she was a talent beyond the word, wasn't she? Yeah, she was an extraordinary lady. Uh, I mean, she was a Cork girl, number one, but she was a Cork lady as well. And, you know, regardless of the roles she played and the stages upon which she strode, she never really played the diva, you know. she did, That was not her style. Uh, uh, you know, in, in one of my other incarnations, I'm a member of a, of a choir, Cork O'Shawin, and, and, you know, I, we performed with her as well. And she always sort of had the, the warm words uh, with the chorus. She was never the standoffish grand lady uh, who was going to be the, the, you know, the main attraction soloist and so on. So, like, she just had that lovely warmth about her, uh, engaging manner. Uh, she, um, she, she and I suppose the other thing, which is everybody will remember, is that she had an abounding sense of fun. Yes. You know, like, there was no question that, you know, this was a serious business and I must sing opera. She, 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 she just thought the whole idea of performance and engaging with people and fellow performers, you know, down to the, you know, the last spear carrier from the left. She just thought it was all great fun and she just enjoyed it thoroughly and she, she helped uh, other people to enjoy it and give out their best in their performances. What she would do on stage a lot in The Everyman, because uh, I, I never missed a show that she did there, but she she would stop after a, a number or two and she would say, right, would you do me a favour? Would you open the suites during the loud bit? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I, you know, I mean... When there were sort of uh, join-in type uh, songs or choruses, whatever, you know, she'd say, "Come on, Cork, that's not the best you can do." That's and right. it was, you know, the, the, this was this was a lovely aspect to, you know, a, a, a person who otherwise had the most magnificent, uh, uh, natural, uh, wonderful voice, and obviously cultivated to her. Uh, great years at at School of Music and beyond, but um, so we we must mem- remember the, this lovely, lovely, rich, warm-hearted, uh, gorgeous uh, Cork woman, and also celebrate the enormous international talent that she was, Indeed. as you have already said, uh, appearing at Sydney Opera and uh, the Paris Opera, uh, appearing in London, you know, Royal Dr. Albert Dan. Hall, you name it, she played there. Yeah. He played there, yeah. yeah. But like we, we have those treasured memories. I mean, we 
ventured back into opera with you know with great assistance from from from, from national funding and so on. But we, you know we we ambitiously tried Pagliacci and she came up as the Neda. My God, she was just magnificent. phenomenal, phenomenal, yeah, phenomenal. And 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 that was I think that was about eight years ago, 2013, I think. And Fals, then yeah. uh, Fausto was about three, uh, 2017, I think, and she, Margarita and that, she was just stunning. Stunning. And, you know, like, people came to hear Cara regardless of what she was singing or what show she was in. They went to the City Hall, you know, to hear her with the Lord Mayor. They went uh, with, you know, when God, the lovely... Uh, uh, combinations which are herself Magella and mm-hmm. Mary Hagerty. Uh, these were just magnificent moments that the people of Cork loved. But then, you know, there were wider, wider audiences and you can see all the streaming on Facebook today uh, that so many groupings and so many cultural organizations are mourning uh, the loss of this wonderful lady. Yeah, indeed. I, I think I've just been, before I, I came on to you, I, I was going through those and Keith Pascoe, uh, you know, of the Banborough, he, he, he's put a beautiful tribute up there. Uh, I, I was fortunate to be uh, in the choir in, in Cork O'Shawan and we joined uh, um, with Contrary Booster and East Cork Choral and, and Keith conducted the Fleischmann Orchestra and we performed at the opening of the of the Choral Festival about three, 2017, I think it was, and, and we performed Verdi's Requiem. Now, you know, I was the third second tenor from the left but um, Cara was just magnificent and there is just this absolutely you know you know a, a moment now in, 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 in invested with sort of pathos really uh, she is singing the gorgeous uh, memor- uh, recordare duet uh, with Raffaella Mangan uh, on stage in the city hall at the Verdi Requiem and Keith is, is conducting oh. and you know some of us just heard heard little slippages, and and Keith 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 now just shares the fact that he she came to him afterwards, and she said she knew that it was the last time that she would have sung the requiem. Yeah. And and what a, a magnificent, uh, grand piece of music sung by an absolutely magnificently grand lady mm. that to, to bring you know that aspect of her career to a close, and yeah. it's so poignant to to hear that now the remembrance. Uh, from from Verdi's Requiem. It's beautiful, beautiful. Indeed, indeed. Listen, thank you very much for joining me. That's Dennis McSweeney, chairman of the Everyman Theatre. I think I'll finish today with, I would easily call her our own in-house patron of the arts, Elmarie Maugh. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Elmarie, she had, I think the best way to describe her was the one word special. She had a talent, yes, but she had things you cannot teach and you cannot learn. Oh, completely. I mean, let's face it, listening to and reading all of the tributes that are people all over Cork are pouring out just goes to show like Cara had something intangible that went beyond all her training and went beyond all her knowledge and went beyond all her experience. She she brought that extra, you know, and I'm laughing there listening to Dennis saying that she was never a diva. And yet Cara's famous solo CD was called Cara Diva. That's right. And, you know, like she released that CD in aid of Marymount Hospice. And I know she raised over 300,000 euro mm-hmm. with that CD alone, something like that for, for Marymount. Like she could have retired on a nest egg and she gave it all away. And she gave of herself 
through her music and through her personality and through her own personal generosity, I suppose, all her life, you know. Yeah. I remember a good number of years ago, we were having a little fundraiser for my school, which is really tiny, and Kara spotted we were having the fundraiser and she called me and she said, come on over, girl, I have loads of stuff I'm trying to throw out. And I went over to the house and, oh my God, she gave me scarves that didn't go with concert dresses or ones that she had sort of worn to death and she was tired of them. She had little necklaces and things and she said, no, that doesn't go with that dress anymore and I've worn that to death and that doesn't show up under the lights. And like, she gave me so much stuff that day and this is going back, oh God, years ago. And like anyone who went and bought stuff in the big, massive Inna Shannon sale of work years ago could still be possibly wearing a little memento of Carol Sullivan unbeknownst to them. But like that was just an example of the kind of generosity she had Mm. both in her professional life and her personal life. Like she was just tremendous, wasn't she? I mean, like nobody thinks of Cara without smiling. You know, we just smile. And it goes through all of those uh, incredible recordings. I mean, oh, all night people have been sharing uh, videos on YouTube of some of the recordings she had with, say, with the RT Concert Orchestra. Yeah. They were recordings. And, and Tolman Park, the, 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 oh. the buzz in Tolman Park. And there's a video, I couldn't find it, but there's a video from a couple of years ago outside the White House where she decided she was yes. going to sing Oh Holy <laughs> Night for Barack Obama and the whole place stopped. <laughs> That's it, because that was just her. And like even Tolman Park, come on. Nobody could ever think of Stand Up and Fight without thinking of Cara. And like she'd be there singing. Here we are, here we are. Then. Well, the audio isn't great, but... Come on! <laughs> that was it. Even if the audience wasn't giving it welly, she bloody made sure it was giving welly. This I mean, is like, an international star. didn't have a roof. This is an international star who's trod the boards of the Sydney Opera House in the biggest of frocks and frills and she's running around Tolman Park in jeans and a rugby shirt going, come I know, and like, that's the same, like, I mean, with the, those recordings of the RT concert orchestra, she's standing there in her jeans and, you know, just a top. There's no audience to be sort of bouncing off with any of that electricity we always associate her with. It's just her and the musicians and the music and like when she sings of course um, oh, some beautiful Ennio Morricone stuff oh my god it's just divine and of course Vizi Darte which the words of which mean I lived for life I lived for love mm. and that encapsulates her so much and I mean I'm thinking today of all her close personal friends like Magella and Karen and Mary and so many others and the, the pianists you know, who would have been on stage for every single one of her small concerts and the evenings with Cara, people like Eleanor Malone, who would have played so much with her, Kier Moroni and Tom Doyle and John O'Brien. And, like, she had such an amazing connection individually with people as well as with holding an entire concert hall in the palm of her hand. And she could walk out on the most formal of occasions and wink or do a bit of mugging with the audience and and have them in stitches in two seconds and then the next minute a pin would drop while she'd be singing. You know, she was just incredible. She was. She was. And we will will miss her desperately because she was a pal of us both and, and I miss her terribly today. You know, I mean, I first heard Cara singing 
Uh, lots of people would know that my family have uh, a caravan parked down in Garrettstown, in Garrettstown House. And Cara's family had a mobile home down there with us, as indeed did one of their great family friends and a great friend of theatre in Cork as well, who only died within the last 12 months, would be David McInerney. Oh, they would yeah. have been tremendous, tremendous friends. And they both had mobile homes down with us. And David was the one who insisted that Cara put on a concert in the coach house one night. So when she was only, God, I'd say a teenager, you know, herself and the guitar singing. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's that many years since I saw Cara playing the guitar, but like, mm-hmm. you know. El, I'm going to stop you that. because I'm going to play out on a song Please. that you've been kind enough to send me. Don't you buy. And there's only one way, I think, of playing out um, from today. Elmery, thank you very much. Uh, Programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Cara Sullen. time to say goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.